Myself and Amal have come to speak to you this morning about prayer. Um, We're talking as part of the Servant Hearted Life series. So the verse that we've been given is Hebrews 13. Hopefully this is going to appear at some point behind me. Hebrews 13 verses 18 to 19. So the verse says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I find it easy to read the Bible. Well, I don't find it easy to read the Bible, full stop. But when I read the Bible, um, I find it easy to breeze over things, things that are really familiar to me. I just sort of skip over them. Um, And I find that here in this verse. So here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, pray for us. And I don't know for you guys, but for me, that's not particularly earth-shattering that he says, pray for us. Okay, prayer is something that we're familiar with. It's the word that we know, especially if we've been around church for a while or we've been Christians for a while. Prayer is something that's talked about numerous times in the Bible. We sort of know what it is. We know that it's talking to God, listening to God. We know we probably should do it. We know that we should probably be at the prayer meeting. We know that we should offer to pray for people in our lives when the circumstances arise. We know all these things in theory. But if we just press the pause button on these two verses and consider for a moment why this verse says it, why does it say pray for us, it may help us to realign ourselves with the truth about prayer and hopefully spur us on to live a prayer-filled life. Who here remembers the old worship song, We Want to See Jesus Lifted High? Yeah, classic song. I would sing it for those of you that don't know, but I'm not a very good singer. So, but in that song, it says, Every prayer, a powerful weapon. Strongholds come tumbling down. And in the book of James in the Bible, we're told, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So prayer is a powerful weapon that we've got as Christians at our disposal. I'm convinced through my experience and through reading the Bible that prayer works. It changes outcomes of situations. It breaks down strongholds and barriers. And the author of Hebrews knows this. He says that prayer is important. He says, pray for us. Prayer is important to them. And in this context, they know it will remove the obstacles that prevent them from being reunited with the Hebrews. They know that prayer determines the outcome of if and when they're going to be reunited. So is your automatic reaction in any given situation to pray? Are you like the author of Hebrews? Do you know the power of prayer and has it become a norm in your life? Do you absolutely, 100% believe that prayer works? If yes, fantastic. If not, then why not? There's probably hundreds of reasons. Loads of reasons that people don't pray or don't trust in the effectiveness of prayer. And for me... My story is that my fear of man, of people, crippled me for many, many years in the area of prayer. My awkwardness in praying, my embarrassment, my lack of confidence in praying all stunted my prayer life. They were all hurdles I had to overcome. Prayer felt like hard work. And so although I knew with my head that it was important, that it was something I should be pressing into, I just didn't do it. But for me, this all turned around because of a revelation of who God is and how he sees me. So let's look at a verse in Luke. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. In Luke 11, it says, 
Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. So this is true for all of us. How we see somebody determines how we relate to them. This happens all the time in my life and in your life. For example, if you think or see someone as kind, you're more inclined to relate to them in a positive way. The reverse is also true. If you know or perceive someone to be unkind, it affects your ability to connect with them openly or even at all. So when we grasp what God is truly like and what he's done for us, it changes our prayers and it sustains a life of prayer. So Jesus, in teaching his disciples about prayer, makes it clear who they're praying to. When you pray, say, Father. How we see God is key to prayer and what our prayer lives look like. God is your loving Father. The rest of the prayer shows that he's holy, reigning, providing, forgiving. He's a protective father. How do you see God? Do you see him like the scripture just showed him? Or do you see him like one of these? Is he a friend? Is he a policeman? Is he a dictator? Do you feel like you're praying to an angry judge? Or do you treat him a bit like he's a heavenly Santa Claus? If you see him as something less than what he is it will affect your prayer life. I saw him as a mixture of all these things. So I had a distorted view of my heavenly dad. But the change came for me through a revelation of who he really is, so that I gained heart knowledge and not just head knowledge. Many of us struggle to pray. So if we think God is disappointed with us or angry with us because of our lack of prayer, we are far less motivated to keep going in the journey. But if we grasp that he is a loving, welcoming, helping and encouraging father, we will be motivated by him to keep going. And did you know that the devil doesn't want you to pray? Because it is a powerful weapon. So he will feed you subtle lies about what God is like, knowing that it will hinder your motivation to pray. And these lies will only get broken by truth. And when that happens, you feel liberated and it feels amazing. So how do you get a true perception of who God is? Simply by reading scripture and by praying for revelation. The Bible should be a go-to. It sings of who God is. But we want it to be heart knowledge, not just head knowledge. And that's where revelation by the Holy Spirit comes in. You can read words and know the answers to who God is. But when you know it deep, deep down in your being, it radically changes the way you view prayer and your relationship with him. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to help you see your father clearly. In Galatians, it says, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. This means God gives his son Jesus to redeem us and adopt us as his children. Then he gives us the Holy Spirit to make our our new identity an experienced reality. You can experience the reality of your adoption and your identity. The Holy Spirit makes the truth of our adoption real. And he makes it personal to us. You can know in the core of who you are that God is your father. And for some of you this morning, you need to know that. 
that God is your father. So the first step in intimacy with God is how we see God. But the next step is how God sees you. In 1 John, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Knowing who you are before God changes the way that you pray. My parents don't live in Lowestoft yet. They are on the move. But they do have a caravan here in Lowestoft. Um, And every few weeks, they come to stay here to see us. And when they're here, I usually decide to pop round for a visit. Now, when I go to visit my parents in their caravan, do you think that I knock on the door and wait to be welcomed in? No. If I'm thirsty, do you think I have to ask permission to get a drink? No. If I'm hungry, which I very often am, can I raid the fridge? Yes. Now change the scenario and imagine it's you turning up at my parents' caravan. Let me ask you the same question. When you get there, do you need to knock on the door to be welcomed in? Yes, otherwise they might ring the police. If you get inside and you're thirsty, do you need to ask permission to get a drink? Yes. If you are hungry, can you raid the fridge? No. What's the difference? The difference is I'm their child and you are not. Our identity and our relationship to them affects our actions. So who we are or who we think we are affects everything that we do, including prayer. Grasping the wonderful truth of who God says you are fills your heart and your mind with confidence and boldness. It means prayer changes from being something done by a willing servant to an act of ongoing intimacy between a father and his child. Our God-given identity as sons and daughters is the key to enjoying, sustaining and persisting in prayer. Our society consistently tells us that we get to define who we are, that we can change who we are or that we can choose what defines us. Our culture tells us that our identity can be shaped by, by four things. How you look, what you do, who you know and even who you sleep with. Trust me, if you choose any one of those things to define you, you're onto a loser. Jesus came to liberate us from a self-defined identity. He came to give us an eternally secure identity. In a book called Tricky, it says this, A Christian is a child of a perfect, powerful father, God. They're part of a perfect, eternal family. They are beautiful in the eyes of the one who runs everything. One day, God will give them everything that is his, perfection forever. The amazing thing is that we, have, we don't have to do anything to get or keep this identity. It's given by God to anyone who asks him for it by trusting Jesus. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself how God sees you? Or are you still calling the shots on who you are? Will you let God show you how he sees you? The Holy Spirit loves to come and show us how God truly sees us. So from that point, we can pray as God intended us to, as sons and as daughters. It's from how we see God and how God sees us that a life of prayer will begin and be sustained. And for me, a revelation that I'm the adopted daughter of the King of Kings transformed my prayer life. Realising that prayer isn't about ticking a box in order to get into his good books, but it's about communicating and intimacy with a father who loves me radically changes how I come to pray. He knows me. It's a good job he doesn't expect eloquent, structured or cleverly worded prayers. 
He wants real, raw, honest conversation. Lots of us know the theory, but in our half hearts, we don't believe either that God hears us or that he's able to answer our prayers or even that he really cares enough to answer them. We need a revelation of who God is. We are weak, and the Bible even says that we're weak. It says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We have to press into prayer with commitment and discipline, forming good habits, but we also need to call in the Holy Spirit to help us in our weakness. For some of us, our issue with prayer is that we're control freaks. Anyone a control freak? We like to be in control of things. We like to think we've got it all together, and to relinquish control to God is tough for some of us. For some of us, our excuse is busyness. Life is busy, and it only seems to be getting busier. We need to take a lesson from Martin Luther. He says, I have so much to do, I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. The busier you are, the more you need to pray. Our busyness is not a valid excuse. For many people, prayer is tough because we feel like history has shown it to be powerless. We feel like prayers failed us. We've been left discouraged, bitter, disheartened and even angry by a seeming unanswered prayer. There's a whole host of reasons we don't have prayer as our default setting in life and that we don't always treasure this amazing gift given to us by God. But when you pray, things happen that when you don't pray, they don't. Our world needs us to rise up and take prayer seriously. We can't afford to let ourselves off the hook easily. Many excuses arise in our defence, but they are just that. They're excuses. Some of them are very real, but nevertheless, they don't stand. You are required to pray. And you are wired to pray. And your prayers will affect the world around you. Christianity is not like a pick and mix. You can't just choose the bits you like and ditch the bits you don't like. You have to have the bits that you don't like, even the bits that you find tough. And for some of you, it's prayer. But if you've signed up, you've signed up to pray too. And if you know you need a revelation from the Holy Spirit of who God is and how he sees you, you need to get prayer this morning. You need to come and see the ministry team. It will change your life and it will radically change your prayer life. Specifically, in this series, we're looking at servant-hearted life. And Omal is going to come and talk to us in a minute about how living a life of prayer makes you more servant-hearted. But let's bear in mind, you're being servant-hearted when you magnify Jesus. Prayer magnifies Jesus because it works. It shows us and those looking at your life that he is real. He is the answer. He wants relationship. He isn't distant. He is interested. He cares. He's powerful. He has authority. Prayer points people to Jesus. Prayer and living a life of prayer magnifies Jesus. And we're giving him the glory when we live a certain servant-hearted life of prayer. Over to Mal. Right. Cool. Let's go. We're going to move on from where Jody ended. I mean, it's wonderful to, for her to give us such an insight as to reasons why we have to pray. And the fact is that you sign up for this, you have no choice other than to pray. Yeah. And that I will tell every Christian because I, I, I can't put it any way. So long as you have accepted to become a Christian, we're going to have to pray because it is true that, that he works for us. Yes, but you said God knows everything. He does, but he wants us to just have a chat with him. 
So see yourself, me and you, the person who created everything, want us to have a chat with him all the time. He just wants us to do that constantly. He loves to hear us talking to him, and that's what we would want to do. I'm sure we probably don't have kind of something to convince you this morning to see the essence or the importance of prayer. Me, what can I tell you to convince you? It is through him, and that's what we want to do this morning. So we are asking him to help us so that he would show us, he would actually reveal to us the need why we do have to pray. We're talking about what? A servant-hearted and that's what we want to sort of link ourselves to. So let's see who is a servant. A person under obligation to serve a master who in turn would provide a measure of protection. So that's who a servant is. He would have to. I mean, he's got an obligation to do something. And the master will look at that. And then, but then, who is this servant that we want to see, that we want to become like him? Let's look at something in Isaiah Chapter 41, 8 to 9, he said, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from this father's corners, saying to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Some servants were slaves under legal bondage or obligation. They don't have a choice. They're going to have to serve. And others were servants voluntarily. For us, we are chosen to be servants because God chose us. And we voluntarily serve him who chose us by grace. That is why he did not make us like robots to serve him or to pray constantly. But he chose us. And then we voluntarily do what he wants us to do. Jesus is the servant leader from whom all of us learn to serve and take servant mentality. And he prayed. So the chief servant that we look up to to become like is Jesus. And what did he do? He prayed. What can we do? We have to pray as well because he did pray. Jesus prayed. So it tells us that prayer is a mark of a servant-hearted what being. So if you want to follow Jesus and become like him, then we're going to have to pray. Being a little bit hard because we're going to have to pray. We go back to the verse we have in Hebrews 13. It says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to honorably, to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. The Hebrews writer here started his statement by asking the Hebrew Christians to pray for them. It is important to note here that the writer was not with the Hebrews Christians at the time that he was writing this. Even though he wanted to be with them again, soon, practically possible, what did he say? His first point of call was asking for prayer. He did not ask them, can you organize 
a taxi for me, and I want really comfortable taxi. Or can I get um, a private jet, which I know that some of these I mean, super preachers do have private jet. That, yeah, if he's going to come and preach for you, you're going to have to do that. He did not do that, but he was asking for what? Prayer. And for the importance of it, Jody has given us loads, isn't it? Why? Because he knows that when we pray, things happen. Because when we pray, God speaks to us into our situation. He gives us directions. What I found is that most of the time, we try, us as Christians, to put things right. Yeah, we, we want to sort things out. But you have forgotten that. You're trying to sort things out. You need a guidance and a direction to sort it out. So if you need to organize a doctor, see the best doctor, who will let you know the best doctor to even see? If you need a lawyer, the best one, who would show you the best one? It is true prayer. And God, in his wisdom, would direct you to see a better lawyer to work for you. So in any case, in any way, we have to go to him, and he would help us. The truth is that prayer changes things. Do you agree with me, church? Are you sure? Right. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. That's what God is saying to us. If we go to him, he's going to answer us. Remember, the person who is saying this, it's not like me or you. He's somebody who is proven. And anyway, he doesn't have to prove himself to you because he is God. And he can do everything. He is a faithful God. Probably if all of us will be, and we, we're going to say into our lives what God has said, done for us, I don't think none of us will say that he's not a faithful God. So what I'm trying to encourage you with is that God is a faithful God. He's the only person who does not change, who cannot be influenced. Me, my wife can influence me. I probably would tell you I'm going to do this for you. I go home, I discover, man, we're going to have to go here and there. My mind changed. <laughs> but for him, he does not change. The Bible says that whatever he has said is yes and amen. And that is what we're going to have to believe. Not that we don't believe. I, sometimes we do believe, but we find it difficult to sort of get. He is a faithful God who changes not. In Job 14, 14, Job is in the Bible. He suffered a lot. He lost all his family and all the things he's got. But in 14, 14, he says something. He said, if a man dies, shall he live again? And all the days of my life, or in some translation, I like that one, that's why I'll say it. All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewer should come. I like a version which said that, and I would wait till my change comes. And that's what Job is saying with all that he went through. He said, I would keep on praying until my what? Change comes. You are right. 
It is difficult. Yes, it's about 30 years or so you've been praying about that issue. It still hasn't happened. You're praying for your husband to become a Christian. He's still not badging. You are praying for that dream job. It's still not come. But Job said something here. He said, I would keep on waiting. I would keep on trusting. I would keep on believing. I would keep on praying to God until my change comes. And what happened to Job? The change did what? Come. And even it was better than before. And that is what I'm encouraging you to do. We're going to have to stick in there with him because he's got a track record. Tim Keller, an American preacher and a writer, in his book, Prayer Experience, Prayer, Experiencing Our and the Intimacy with God, says something in there that catches my heart and I feel that I need to share with you. He was going through a, a difficult time because he had a cancer, and the wife had got a loved one who was kind of diseased, and so it was pretty tough for them. And he said something. Actually, it was the wife who said to him, so... When the wife speaks, listen. <laughs> he said, she said that to the husband. Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lateral condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around it <laughs> to it some light? No. It would be crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, and that's what the wife was saying, we are not going to make it because of what we are facing. I am certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. That's what the wife told the husband. And this, the husband said that his penny dropped on prayer. And since then, if you read the book, he said every night, wherever he may be, he was to pray with the wife. And that's what I'm encouraging you. My prayer this morning is that God should help us so that our penny would drop regarding to prayer. It shouldn't be somebody's experience. No, it has to be yours. And when it is, Nobody will change your mind about prayer. Bob and Debbie Gass, if you are a reader of you, uh, you, I mean, a word for you today, you probably might have read this. In June 2019 edition with a title, The Ultimate Purpose of Prayer, it says, and if you pray, isn't, if you pray, if your prayer isn't in accordance with his will, He's working to change your request by changing you. An answered prayer can be as big as an answered prayer when it keeps us from violating God's will. And, God is, and what is God's will to make you more like Jesus? And that's what he says here. What am I trying to say or what am I trying to get us to get from this? Even if it's not happening, what he's saying is that behind the scene, God is doing something for you that you have no clue. Yeah? And if it's not happening, we're going to have to continue because he knows and he sees what we don't see. 
So please do not stop praying because of unanswered prayer. Because in the background and behind scenes, God is doing a whole lot for you. There was a story of a man. God said to him, I would never leave you. I would go with you every step on the way, even when it is difficult. And God said that, yes, for you to know that I am with you, you're going to see my shadow with you all the time. A time came in this man's life. Life was really, really tough. He was walking, and he couldn't see God's shadow with him. And he turned to you and he said, hey, you said to me that you're going to be with me when it is difficult. So why is it that I'm not seeing your shadow with you? And he's beginning to sort of panic. He's left me. And he started sort of, and God said to him, you are not seeing my shadow with you. It's because where we are at the moment, it is difficult. So I'm going to have to carry you on my shoulders. So the footsteps that you see now, it's not yours, but it is mine. That is what God is doing with some of us at some point. It tends to happen. You tend to think like, where is he in this situation? Why is it that nothing is happening to me? But God is telling you that at that particular moment, you couldn't handle. So he carried you on the shoulder. Hence, that is why sometimes it goes like, oh, nothing is happening. But he is there with you. We're going to have to stick with him because he's always with us. So I got to this point. Why do you have to pray? And I got three answers. One said we must pray because Jesus prayed. And prayer helps us to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. In Matthew 26 36 to 44, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane and asked his disciples to pray. For the sake of time, I'm just going to look at the 41 and 40 and 41. And he says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh with God is weak. You're going to have to understand that as well, isn't it? In Luke 18, Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. And he told them a parable to effect that we ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Jesus knew everything. He knew that at a point we would lose us. So he put in all these to help us so that when things are tough, we have to know that he is with us. When Jesus answered the disciples' request to teach them how to pray, he gave them a parable to bring out his, the final importance of prayer, basically. So to receive an answer prayer, we must be steadfast and determined. We must not allow this encouragement to cause us to faint in order not to pray. All that I'm trying to tell you this morning is that we're going to have to stick in with him. He is a faithful God. He has been faithful to me, I think, more than anybody. Yes, and hence, that is the reason why, for me, I think there is nothing I can do. There is nothing that would work for me without me praying to God about. Hence, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, where do I go? It's only him, because that's all I have. You take him aside, and all the time, I sort of panic. 
how can I survive without him? Because I can't without him. Okay? So we're going to have to pray. He would help us. Look into your own life. Look back and see what he's done for you before. And let that motivate you. Let that tell you that what you're going through today or now, he's still going to show himself. Do not forget he's abandoned you. No. Look, he said in his scripture that, I wish above all things that you prosper in all you do. That is what God is telling us. I am not saying to you that it's not going to be tough. No. What I am trying to tell you is that it will be tough, but he's with you, and he will come through with you. And I want you to stick with him because I testify of his goodness in prayer. If we have time, I will tell you a lot about the reason why I'm saying that, but we don't. But trust me for that one, that he has done massive for me through prayer. That's why I'm here today. The second point I'm trying to us to look at is that we must pray because prayer helps us to battle spiritually. Prayer helps us to battle spiritually. Let's see what the scripture says. So, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying to us. If you think that everything that is happening is just happening, you are deceiving yourself. Because we are spiritual what? Beings. And things that happen in our lives have a spiritual connotation to it. So, if you're going to just sit down and take everything as physical, it's going to be tough. We're going to have to know, believe and accept that, yes, And that's what scripture is saying. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. No. And how do you fight spiritually? Prayer is the starting point of you dealing with things spiritually. And that's what we're going to have to do. Apostle Paul tells us that we are in war. Not a physical war, but a spiritual one. The flesh is fighting against the spirit, and the spirit is fighting against blood. A flesh, sorry. When God created Adam, he created him spirit, soul, and body. And when the spirit rules, you have a fellowship with God. Because the Bible says that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The starting point of us operating in the spirit is true prayer. We need spiritual weapons. Because we fight spiritual beings. Physical bullets can't kill these demons. They can't kill this because they are spirit. And what do we do? We're going to have to fight them spiritually. And the way to fight spiritually is just to pray. We must use the work, what works, and what works is prayer. Perhaps you've been using too many physical bullets in dealing with Issues that is happening in your life. But I'm sorry to tell you that if you use a lot 
of the physical stuff to fight the spiritual battle. You will not win because they are not physical battles. You're going to have to start spiritually. And God will show you what you're going to have to do physically to deal with those issues. And that is the bit that we miss. Because most of the time, what do we do? We try to put things there ourselves. Yeah, we put everything. Because for us human beings, probably that's what makes sense to us. So we're probably not too wrong in doing that. But he's let us know that, yes, for us to put those spiritual, I mean, physical things right, he needs to show us. He needs to give us the direction and the guidance as to what we need to do physically. Yeah? So we're going to go to him in prayer, and he would show us what we're going to have to do. So we move on because our time is half. Right. The last one says that we must pray because there is authority in prayer. God has given you and me, as we are, powers to destroy things. It says that, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And that's what God is saying. Believe that and go and ask him everything that he has said in Jesus' name. And the scripture is saying that God said that he's going to do it for you. And that's what we're going to have to do. We can see here that the scripture we read. There is unlimited power available to those who pray. By faith, we can move mountains. That's what Elijah was a man like you and me. He prayed and fire came from heaven. He asked that and God did it. He prayed. It hasn't rained for three years he prayed and it rained. Believe in you, yourself. Because God has given you the same, even more. Because by that time, Jesus wasn't there. So we stand at an advantage, bigger one than him. But that happened. Because he believed that, yes, if I pray, he would honor. So believe him and not let things distract you. And push with him. And he's going to do it for you. Chuck Swindoll said something here, a quote that I'm going to give you. He said, prayer was never intended to make us feel guilty. It was never intended to be a verbal marathon of only the initiated. No secret code talk to the clergy or the public display of piety. None of that. Real prayer, the kind of prayer Jesus mentioned and modeled, is realistic, spontaneous, down-to-earth communication with the living Lord that results in a relief of personal anxiety and a calm assurance that God is in full control of our circumstances. Let me encourage you here to start. Form a brand new habit as you fight, as we fight of the habits about prayer. Get fresh, new grip on prayer because it is essential to survival. I don't know how you're going to manage, but you tell me, what about those who don't even go to church and they are surviving? What does the scripture say about that? We as Christians would not be able to thrive if we don't pray. I would finish here with a quote from a 17th century Roman Catholic um, Frenchman named Francois Fallon. He said something here, and I love it. It did help me a lot. So I'm going to just read what he said. He said, tell God all that is in your heart as one unloads heart, its pleasure, and its pain 
to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he purified them. Tell him your dislike that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptation that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Liver your indifference to God, your deprived taste of evil, your instability. Tell him how self-love makes you unjust to others, how vanity tempts you to be insincere, how pride disguises you to serve to yourself and others. That is what he said we should do, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Yes, it's about 12 o'clock, but we're going to do this. Because it is important for your survival. One minute, two minutes, it will sort you out. So we're going to do that. Yeah? If you pour out all your weakness, your needs, your trouble, joys, fear, compassion, dreams, goals, gratitude, and so forth, there will be no lack of what to say to God. And that's what I'm telling you this morning. So you have nothing to say that, oh, I don't know what to say. No. Because if you go to God with all these that we have said, you've got plenty to say to him about. If nothing is worrying you, be joyful and just pray to him. Okay, and that's what we're going to do. He answers prayer. 